And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on a Friday afternoon. It is Victor Wembenyama debut day in Las Vegas, and our own Tim Bontemps is there in a dark, dingy-looking hotel room, fresh from the blackjack tables, probably down 600 700 bucks, crying into his whiskey. Tim Bontemps, how are you? I got here to Vegas last night, Zach, and I went to sleep, and I slept for several hours, and I feel good. That's been my trip so far. I got to say, Tim, and, I, and I'm not saying this to make light of it. I'm just saying, stating a fact, I really did not expect an instant intersection of Victor Wembanyama, Britney Spears, and controversy in Las Vegas. I, I just, I, I have nothing to say. Talk I've only about read a, the basic so- news reports. I, I just did, did, wasn't, on the old, uh, wasn't on the old bingo card. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a welcome to... Welcome to the NBA moment, if I've ever seen one for Victor Wembanyama. This is just this is the world that he is now in. So statements have been released. I don't, I don't get to Vegas for another two days. Apparently, I, I'm just going to miss everything. Um, well, he, they play. Who do they play tonight? Uh, the Spurs play the Hornets tonight. Brandon Miller versus Vic, and then Sunday, uh, Scoot Henderson plays Vic Blazers Spurs. So it should be a fun. Should be a fun couple days to open summer league and Chad Holmgren's hopefully playing Saturday. Look great in uh, Salt Lake City. So a lot of stuff to see. It should be fun. What'd you think of the LaMelo Ball five-year super duper max? That's not super duper. It's just a max. Five-year max. Rookie max. I was not surprised. I mean, I sort of thought coming into the offseason, you'd see three guys get the full super max or whatever, the full max extension, right? Him. Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Edwards, they all got it. You know, um, obviously, LaMelo is a heck of a talent. Has not been able to be on the court as much as you would like last couple of years. Hopefully that changes. Um, But, you know, between Brandon Miller and, you know, now the Miles Bridges will be back on the court after last year. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Charlotte. But certainly if you pay a guy like that, that kind of money, the expectation is he's going to be an all-star caliber franchise level player going forward. And while he has the potential to do that for sure, you know, Lamelo hasn't quite reached the same heights as Tyrese and Anthony so far. So we'll see if he can um, see if he can realize that next season. I'm very curious to see what happens in Charlotte as they have a new ownership group and start to move forward. It's time for the new ownership group to step in and really modernize that team in every possible way, put more money into it, put more money into the staff and everything. You know, I heard I was listening to Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo on their free agency reaction pod, my buddies, and um, they were kind of snickering or Bill was more specifically kind of snickering at the LaMelo deal and said, well, can we can we can we have one 500 season before I pay you 200 something million dollars? And I get that. But also, like. This is just what it is. This is what you do. This is, as Brian Windhorst likes to say, the fun max. I'm looking at the estimates now. It doesn't even crack $40 million until year three. Year four is 2027, 2028. It's $44 million. The cap's going to be like 180 by then, so it's going to be like 25% or less of the salary yeah. cap, something like that. And LaMelo, look, I've said many times, I didn't. I, I thought LaMelo for as as much of a passing savant as he is and the vision that he has and the joy that he plays with. I thought he got a little hoggy last year. Um, he hasn't been the most efficient finisher around the rim. 
I just thought he kind of became a chucker. And if you look at his combination, I, I, I this is all I'm I'm just freewheeling this. I didn't plan to talk about Lamelo. Yeah, but I I believe if you if you sort the stats for like players who shot more than 20 field goals per 36 minutes and less than four free throws per 36 minutes. It's like four guys and one of them is LaMelo. And that that felt about right. But the size, the vision, and the shooting ability, the ability to make tough threes off the dribble, like this is just what you do, particularly when you're the Charlotte Hornets. And to be polite, because it's Friday, it's Wemby debut day. Let's be nice and polite. The Charlotte Hornets have not exactly put LaMelo Ball in the best position to succeed on a team winning level over his three seasons in the NBA, coupled with his injuries, obviously, those hurt too. So I, this is just kind of kind of what it is. It's kind of what you do, right? I mean, I, I, to me, I'm like, of course, yeah, no-brainer. Like, I don't even have much analysis of it. Yeah, I mean, he's a six-seven point guard with incredible vision who averaged 23 and eight and a half assists a game last year. Shot 38% from three and only played 35 games. Like you said, Charlotte has not been a very good team, but this guy has all world talent. And like you said, they're the Charlotte Hornets and he's the franchise centerpiece for them going forward. Like I, like I said, I did not, I thought there were three guys who were going to get max extensions from this rookie class. They all got them. And you know, that was, it was certainly not a shock nor a surprise when it happened. I do feel like this is going to be the year I don't mean to say say this the wrong way, but like, I'd like the basketball to be a little more serious. And that's partly like the team has to be a little better. But, you know, Steve Clifford is a serious basketball coach who's going to demand serious basketball things. Mm -hmm. And I just like, I just thought the basketball got a little hoggy and gimmicky last year. But anyway, I don't want to talk about the Hornets anymore. Good deal. Desmond Bain, Max, fine, right? All right. I forgot about Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain was fine. He was going to get it too. Yep, for sure. Okay, let's talk about some of the transactions that have happened since we last uh, convened here at Low Post Central. Uh, the Boston Celtics, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Dallas Mavericks strike a three-team sign-and-trade in which Grant Williams, as the main principal, goes from Boston to Dallas on a four-year, $53 million contract. Two second-round picks come back to Boston. Dallas sends out Reggie Bullock and an un protected 2030 pick swap this is the summer of the swaps and the swaps of swaps and the swaps of the swaps of the swaps an unprotected 2030 pick swap to the spurs along with reggie bullock dallas gets back two second round picks so they're out of swap or they're vulnerable to a swap uh-huh. and they get two picks back and they get the best player in the trade um let's start with the celtics because why not um I think it was not surprising that Grant Williams went goodbye once they got Porzingis because they were going to vault over the second apron if they had re-signed or toward it or over it if they had re-signed Grant Williams at this number. Here's where this all leaves the Celtics. Starting lineup, Derek White, Jalen Brown, the Supermax is going to come. The Supermax is going to come, right? I've been saying that over and over. You have not heard any differently, correct? Uh, That is my expectation, yes. Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I'll just pencil in Al Horford, Kristaps Porzingis, and keep Robert Williams off the bench. It might be another combination of those two guys. Porzingis is going to start because he's making a gazillion dollars, and they just extended him two years, $60 million. The bench then becomes Malcolm Brogdon, Peyton Pritchard, Sam Hauser, O'Shea Brissett, who I kind of like, Robert Williams, and then some deeper guys on the deep bench. Obviously, Marcus Smart 
is out. Porzingis is in. Boston dealt away from its surplus, I guess, surplus of guards. I mean, is it a surplus if Malcolm Brogdon's injured all the time and so injured that you couldn't trade him? And that Peyton Pritchard was out of the rotation unless it was like, we need we need to put somebody frisky on the floor, spice it up. Let's put Peyton Pritchard out there for four minutes and then he won't play again for a month. You know, I've you're a, you're, you watch this team more closely than anyone probably at our company. I've been waiting to ask you about this, and I've heard some of what you've said on the Hoop Collective. But just now that the dust has settled and we know Grant Williams is gone and we know what the, the team looks like, we know what Porzingis' number is the next two seasons after this one, Like, do, do you think any differently of the Celtics in terms of where they stack up in the East in the league today than you did three weeks ago? Or, where are you on this? Yeah, so I would say, Zach, that the Celtics have given themselves a higher ceiling by trading Marcus Smart, in particular with Christos Porzingis. I would also say with the moves they've made as of now, we'll see what else happens the rest of the summer. I would say they've pretty significantly lowered their floor um, because if you look at their team now, they now have a seven-man rotation, essentially, after losing Marcus Smart and Grant Williams and adding Christos Porzingis. With four of those seven guys, as you mentioned before, Malcolm Brogdon, Porzingis, Al Horford, and Robert Williams, who are all likely to miss a pretty significant chunk of time from an injury standpoint. And that's before you get into some of the roster questions I have now, because this is a team that now really can't do a lot of the switching stuff that they've done in the past. They've sort of dramatically changed their identity from a defensive standpoint. And, you know, like people will look at Grant Williams, like you mentioned it. Obviously, they would have been probably twenty-five million into the luxury tax again in the in, in this immediate moment if they had matched that contract. But I think this is a very bad day for them from a roster management standpoint because Grant Williams has proven over the past couple of years that he can play late in the playoffs. He's on a contract now that is going to, by the end of it, be fringe rotation money, which might sign sign sound wild to people when they hear a guy sign a four-year, fifty-four million dollar contract. But that deal's going up by four and a half percent a year, and the cap is jumping by ten percent a year. Yeah, people years, just need to understand that in five years the cap is going to be like a hundred and ninety million under current projections. It's one thirty six right now, right. and so next year it's probably going to be one fifty. The year after that is probably going to be one sixty five, and the year after that it's probably going to be one eighty. And those are those are conservative estimates. Well, no, those aren't conservative. Those that's, are about right. And that's like, so ten percent. That's with a 10% jump each year, which is the max it can jump. And it's probably going to jump the max every year. And so you just need to do, instead of being like, oh my God, 44 million for LaMelo Ball in 2028 or 32 million for Jeremy Grant. And whoopsie, we kind of signed that one thinking one thing was going to happen. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Should we have known better? Blah, blah, blah. Just do the percentage math. It's not that hard. Okay. Boston, go ahead. So you look at that and yeah, Grant Williams might not have played all the time for this team. But Grant Williams is a a very healthy guy. He's durable. He's versatile. He can play off of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. He's an excellent spot-up shooter, particularly in the corners. He can guard all across the positional spectrum. They put him on guards. They put him on centers. You know, he guarded both Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid at times in the playoffs to show his versatility. And like I said, he's not, I'm not trying to make him out to be an all-star in the future. He's not. But if you're a team as good as Boston and you have a chance to win a title, this coming season, and you lose a player off your team for nothing, that to me is a very disappointing thing. 
if you are following the Celtics. And I especially think you have to look at this as a financial move when you look at this trade. Because even if you'd said, well, the Celtics didn't want to pay Grant Williams four years and 54 million, which, by the way, when they were talking about an extension in the fall, it wasn't much lower than this. So it's not like this was way off of where they were going to wind up. But just look at what San Antonio did in this trade. You mentioned it when you were talking about it. Not only did they get Reggie Bullock, who's a fine 3 and D wing, who's a 38% shooter, who certainly could have helped the Celtics. They also got an unprotected pick swap, first round pick swap in 2030, which, by the way, will be Luka Doncic's 12th season in the NBA. And there's plenty of reasons to wonder if he's even going to be on the team at that point. And if he's not, that could be an extraordinarily valuable swap, particularly if you look at San Antonio and if Victor Wembanyama is relatively healthy, he'll be in his seventh season and they're going to be very good, all but certainly, if he's able to stay on the court. So you look at that all the way around. And even if the Celtics had gotten Grant Williams or Reggie Bullock in the pick swap, I would have said, all right. You have a pick, you you have a salary slot you could trade. You have a decent player who can help your team and you get a really valuable asset in the future in this pick swap. Instead, they get two second round picks. They get a $6 million trade exception and they lose a guy who they know can play for them in the final two rounds of the playoffs, which are the most valuable players outside of stars that you can find. So yeah, they have accumulated now a million extra second round picks from all their wheeling and dealing at the draft. And I have seen some media coverage over the last couple of days. It's like, Sources, Celtics accumulating picks with eye on making big trade. No, they're not accumulating picks with an eye on like just having picks and being like, hey, let me just bring up my list of second round picks and enjoy it over a glass of wine. That's what they're doing. Every team is doing that. Um, Look, I understand. uh, I understand what the Celtics are doing. Like they had a lot of guards and they traded out of that positional glut, so to speak and added a player that didn't necessarily address a positional need, but certainly added depth to an injury risk position with Horford getting old and Robert Williams being injured all the time. But more than that, I understand why the Celtics having experienced the absolute slog of what the playoffs have been like for them. And I know that sounds weird because they made the finals and the conference finals, but like, boy, did they have to just scratch and claw. It wasn't easy anywhere. It wasn't yeah, easy. It, wasn't it, it easy. was never easy on offense. It was always just like, are they going to fall apart in the last four minutes? How late are they going to start this possession in the shot clock? How hard are they going to have to work here to get the switch they want? And will they be able to execute out of the switch they want? And I understand the desire to like, we just have to loosen things up and give ourselves a jolt of stylistic change. And Kristaps Porzingis is a jolt of stylistic change because he is not just a shooting big man. He's a gunner. He's a quick trigger, quick release gunner. Al Horford is a shooting big man. He's not quite that. He's not like pick and pop dudes closing out on me in my face. I'm shooting it anyway. That's not Al. Al can do that sometimes. Uh He's more like I'm open in the corner. Here it comes. I'm going to let it fly. Forget the post-up stuff. Like Everyone is really going head over heels over. Like Now they have a back-to-the-basket option. What a luxury for the Celtics. They'll do that when he gets a switch. And Porzingis, everyone knows the efficiency stats from last year were off the charts. I don't trust those stats. They're out of line with the rest of his career. But he did get more decisive attacking off the catch, which I like. Don't sit there and play with the ball and jab step for eight seconds. Just catch it and go. He did more of that. He's a he's a little bit of a better passer than people think when he when he thinks that way. So I understand the need for a stylistic jolt. I understand that 
there are people around the league who think Marcus Smart, because of the way he plays, because that he's approaching 30 or wherever he is now, he is an injury or bad aging risk going forward because of the full contact, full floppage, full falling over, full everything, full throttle way he plays. I get all that. I get it. I guess I just net out at I'm a little more uneasy than not uneasy is the wrong word. If there's like a continuum from people who really don't like what they did, like Perk, Perk is over here. It's like this is a disaster. Marcus Smart's the heart and soul of the team to over here on the other extreme. um, This is a no brainer. The Celtics had too many guards. This is a different look. Porzingis is really good. Have you checked his numbers from his one year with the Wizards? Incredible, blah, blah, blah. If the, if these are the extremes, I'm like 30% of the way to the positive extreme and 30% like I'm I'm like closer to the I feel a little queasy. That's where I come out. And I feel a little queasy because I'm not sure how much I trust this idea that Boston had a ton of guards on their team and too many to play when again Brogdon's injured all the time and currently and Peyton Pritchard was out of the rotation most of the season. I like Peyton Pritchard, he's fine. Um and I just like all three big men. I don't trust their health. And I'm just not a hundred percent convinced that like the Robert Williams, Kristaps Porzingis duo is going to be a workable thing on offense or on defense in some matchups. And I just, and they went away from the Horford Robert Williams pairing for a lot of last year. And if you come out in the wash and it's like, we just can't play two of these three guys together in enormous amount of minutes. I've lost one of the players, two of the players, really, that is sort of the glue between the smallest guys and the biggest guys and Marcus Smart and Grant Williams. The Celtics are going to be awesome no matter what. I like Brissett a lot. I I, I think that's good value for them. I think he can come in and play on their team. Maybe they do have a higher ceiling. I I guess they do. I I guess I, I just can't kick the queasiness I feel because of all that stuff and because, again... One of the worst passing teams in the league. Not worst. Let me strike that. An okay passing team prone to droughts of stagnancy lost its assist leader and replaced him with a big man who likes to shoot a lot. I just, I, am, I, am I too pessimistic? I don't, I, I feel like I'm missing something with this. Yeah, so I mostly talked about the Grant part of it before. So yeah, like the Porzingis Marcus Smart trade is one of the most, fascinating trades I can remember outside of, you know, a team trading for a superstar, which is always going to generate a lot of interest because of just how significantly it changes the way the Celtics are oriented. Right. As you mentioned, Marcus Smart. Now, look, I think it was probably the right time to trade Marcus Smart. I think they got great. They got great value. I should have said that they got really good value with the two first round picks they got from Marcus Smart. Yeah, I mean, I would say Chris Porzingis is a better player in a vacuum than Marcus Smart, and they got two first-round picks. Now, they turned one of them into a million seconds, which, I, I mean, I guess. We'll, we'll see what they do with all these seconds. But, um, but yeah, like, they... I, I understand why they made the trade. Marcus took, I think, a bit of a step back last year. They have Derek White, who's an excellent player, and is clearly going to be their point guard now. I'm sure you, you could certainly make an argument that they'll be a lot better with Derek White now needing to play 36 minutes a game than the you know, 28, he was probably playing oftentimes before. Um, And certainly Porzingis, you know, they didn't have an option to really combat switches. They can throw the ball to Porzingis in the post, like you said. I don't know if he's going to be as efficient as he was before, but they do have a bit of a plan B now, which they didn't really have. We haven't seen Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown 
do a great job beating switches. So from that standpoint, I understand why they made the deal. And that's why I think they have a higher ceiling because if this thing clicks right, if you have those four guys out there, you're, you're, you have a chance to be a pretty dominant team at both ends of the court, potentially with Porzingis at the rim with Robert Williams. Like you said, the, the other, if you have them out there with Tatum Brown and, and Derek white, you've got excellent perimeter defenders. Then like that, they have really they're going to be awesome no matter what. Well, the Celtics, I will see. I because I think, like I said, I think they have significantly raised their floor. And if you told me they have the best record in the NBA next season, I could totally see that. However, they they have four of their seven guys now who are significant injury risks, the three centers and Malcolm Brogdon. So that's three of your top seven guys. We'll see how many of them are actually available to play. You know, you mentioned O'Shea Brissett, the fact that they might need to rely on someone like that in their rotation sort of sort of sums up the fact that their wing rotation now is very weak and not having Grant Williams, a guy who you could slot in as a floor spacing three in certain lineups and certainly could play at four if any of those centers are not available or unable to play together, which to your point, I have some real concerns about. Like, yeah, I think you can potentially play Robert Williams and Chris Tasperzingis together against some teams but I don't think that's a lineup you could play together all the time. And you're looking at Al Horford now approaching 40 and needing him to be out there playing in a lot of lineups that I'm not sure he's going to necessarily be able to hold up in. So, I mean, look, they, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a team that I want to see on the court because it is just such a wild difference from what it was before. And I'm very interested to see what it looks like. Again, they, they've done so much switching on defense. They can't really do that anymore. They have to, um, you mentioned the passing. I think that has been an underrated thing. They were not a great passing Nobody team. Nobody talks about that. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe well, people re- think that Jason Tatum is going to become like an eight assist guy or something like th- Jalen Brown is a, 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 an even assist to turnover ratio guy who does not average a lot of assists. Yep. Like they're just not a good passing team. And they, and smart was erratic at times also led their team in assists and was if not the initiator every possession initiator 50 pick and roll a game initiator only ran 17 pick and rolls per 100 possessions which was like tied with Jalen Brown and Derek White in terms of volume according to second spectrum he was their best connector within possessions screen roll kick um extra pass on the perimeter catch go make the next play I feel like that's a, a glue that they're maybe it's just all Derek White replacing it because he's good at all that stuff too. Um, I I just I don't know. I feel like well, I, no one's talking about that, and I don't know why. I don't think it's a coincidence that their offense always looked best when Marcus Smart was on the court because when he wasn't out there and the wings have the ball, the ball tends to stick and not move much, and then they get into ISO heavy situations and they tend to not do as well. So I I think the lack of passing and ball movement on offense could be a real problem. The injuries could be a real problem. And I also think to be frank, I think the lack of personality on this team could be a significant problem. Like they just don't have a lot of energy and passion in this group now, really like they're just, they have a bunch of really good players, but there's nobody who you look at as a guy that really is going to galvanize the group. Like Marcus Smart was always that guy for this team. Grant Williams was a guy who oftentimes would serve that kind of a role for this team. Those guys are both gone. So now, like in some, on one hand, you could argue that putting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown 
you know, again, as we both assume this extension gets done with Jalen, if you're putting them in a situation where they need to step up and fulfill that role and really have it be their team, as opposed to Marcus Smart's team in some respects, in an ironic way, you could argue it's sort of like what Memphis did moving on from Dylan Brooks and that he had a little bit too much of a, a, a share of their personality for where his spot was in their hierarchy from a talent standpoint. But the Grizzlies have some other guys with big personalities, it's safe to say, that now they're putting Marcus Smart in that group. The Celtics, like, it's just going to be interesting to see what they look like from that standpoint, which I know is sort of an esoteric, hard thing to quantify. But, you know, I, like if the times get tough for this team next year, who's going to be the guy that's going to galvanize the group? Is it going to be Al Horford? Like, uh, you know, I, I think it needs to be Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and that's not something they've really ever done. So it it's truly, a, I've been trying to wrap my head around the Porzingis deal for a month or whatever, I guess for two weeks, three weeks since it happened, because it, I just truly have, I don't remember a lot of deals like this where I just don't have a sense of what this team is going to look like because of how dramatically they've changed, particularly for how much success Boston has had. And I, that's why I think this Grant Williams thing is a, is a really significant problem for them because he was a guy that could bridge some of the gaps in their roster at the moment. And now that they don't have him, they kind of just have to have some of these things work that I'm not sure will. Like they need Malcolm Brogdon to play and be good. They need these three centers to all be healthy a decent amount of the time and be able to all play together, which I'm just not sure they will. So I don't know. It's it's going to be fascinating to watch. I really can't wait to watch them next year because they are going to be so fundamentally changed from the team they were before. I think one of the reasons everyone has had a harder time wrapping their head around it is because when it was Brogdon for Porzingis, it was kind of like, oh, sure, Malcolm Brogdon, like short-term Celtic, hurt a lot. Like That was a, a safe one, move, right? Malcolm Brogdon for Porzingis was safe. Marcus yeah, Smart is, for Porzingis was a high-variant swing. It was like, we're is, changing this, the total structure of our team. Yeah, this is a core part of our identity going out. And also now, Porzingis was extended for two years, 60 million, which I think is fine. Like Porzingis on an expiring isn't ideal. Porzingis on a four-year extension, which they couldn't do at this time anyway, is not ideal. Two years is fine, but it is a significant commitment. To that point, the Celtics right now have about 190 to $195 million already essentially committed in payroll for 2024, 2025, which would take them right up to the second apron basically already. Um, and in 2025, that assumes a supermax for Jalen Brown. In 2025-2026, they could have 153-ish million committed to four guys in the Jays, Porzingis, and Time Lord before you address any other part of the roster, which is one of the obstacles to pursuing Damian Lillard, which is not something I want to talk about right now. Right. They also overhauled their coaching staff in a way that probably is a net upgrade in terms of ex- not probably is a net upgrade in terms of experience and acumen and whatever around Joe Missoula, but it is an overhaul nonetheless. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. 
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Let's talk about Dallas because Dallas is, boy, have they gotten a lot of kudos in this offseason. And, and I think they largely deserve it. Grant Williams is an unbelievable fit for the Mavericks. Yep. And you can worry if you want about the departure of Bullock, who is a good shooter once the calendar turns to January and a reliable <laughs> defensive player. Yeah. Um, but this team needed a bigger reliable defensive player Grant Williams is a better screener passer than Reggie Bullock by a lot, and I think the Mavericks can lean into using him that way. He has the potential to fill minutes at center, although they're not really built to do that, and they have a lot of centers on the roster. And he is a much bigger, more versatile defender than Bullock is. Um, and we know what they did at the draft in dumping Bertans and taking in Rashawn Holmes and ending up with two first-round picks that they really, really liked and Omax Prosper, who could play right away, and Derek Lively, who's probably more of a, pros a project um, for them. They signed Seth Curry on a good deal, re-signed Dwight Powell on a good deal. Dante Exum, unbeknownst to me, was shooting like 45% on threes in Europe on, on smaller volume, but like pretty good and running a nice pick-and-roll, apparently. He's back. Jaden Hardy showed a lot of signs last season. And all of a sudden, they got like a, an interesting conglomerate of wings around and between Kyrie and Luka. And of course, Kyrie's back. Kyrie is back. Of course, I was going to say that that's kind of kind of a significant part of their offseason. And so a lot of kudos for the Mavericks. And I think I think deserve it. But. Here's their starting five. I, this is my best guess at their starting five. Okay. Could go a number of different ways. Kyrie and Luca. I'm going to pencil in Josh Green at the three. Could be Hardaway or at the two, three, whatever you want to call it. Could be Hardaway, could be Josh Green. It's probably going to be one of those two. I think Grant Williams will probably walk in and start for them at the four. And Dwight Powell, who's like a cockroach. You can't kill Dwight Powell. You can't take him out of the Mavericks starting five for long. He's always going to find his way right back into the Mavericks starting five. And then off the bench, they'll, they can stagger the two superstars if they like, although that's going to create a wing crunch for them. Then they, you have Tim Hardaway Jr. or Josh Green, whichever of them doesn't start. Kleba, I think they might actually play Kleba a little bit, if not much more at the four next season from what I'm hearing, and pair him with a Holmes or a McGee or a Lively, which then just leaves me like one spot for the Exum, Hardy, Prosper group. And... That's a team that, particularly with Grant Williams, to defend a ton of positions and screen and add size and add spot-up shooting and playmaking, it makes sense. You say all these transactions, it's like, it's exciting, right? Like, the, the Mavs, like, 
with without a ton of resources and flexibility and after embarrassingly tanking away the rest of their season only to see a play-in team make the finals, like came out of this about as well as a team could possibly come out of it. And you want to get excited, and it is exciting. They have Luka, one of the 10 best players in the NBA at worst, a first-team All-NBA guy almost every season. They have Luka, a guy who uh, one man by himself can eviscerate any defense you have. And you have Kyrie, who adds shooting, secondary playmaking, puts a freaking battery pack onto the slowest team in the league and gets them running. All of that. It's very exciting. And then you read that starting five again. It's like Kyrie, Luka, Josh Green, Grant Williams, Dwight Powell. Is that really Kyrie, Luka, and three backups? Three career backups and then a bench full? of it's, Is it like in the West? In the West, is that team, when you really read all the names, and yes, a lot of those career backups like Josh Green and Grant Williams have increased upside, they're younger. Is that team worth all this excitement in the West? I mean, it's exciting. It is exciting. They did they did a great job. And then you look at the names, and I'm like, man, I got to compete with Denver, the Lakers, the Warriors, the Suns, the Kings, the Grizzlies, the Wolves, the Clippers. Whew. How good are they? I'm not sure they're going to make the playoffs. And like, that's going to sound crazy to Mavs fans. I just read all Denver, well, Lakers, Warriors, Suns, Kings, Grizzlies, Wolves. People just forget about the Wolves because they were such a well, disappointment. They're yeah, not going take anyway. The, take Clippers, the Wolves, Thunder, take the Wolves, take Pelicans. the Pelicans, take the Thunder, right? Those teams finished 8th, ninth, and 10th last year. There are, I, now that the dust has settled, right? Like in the West, we know Portland is going into the into the toilet. Um, or not, they'll, they'll be fine. Like they'll be fun to watch. They're not going to be a playoff team. San Antonio is going to slow play it. It looks like, although they have some interesting young players, yeah. they'll be solid. Houston, Houston's not going to be very good either. They'll be Houston, they'll be better, but they're not going to be yeah good. exuberant and fun. But the team whatever. in Utah and Utah will be in sort of the same place as last year. The teams that were 12th to 15th are going to be 12th to 15th again, barring something weird again. And we shouldn't put something weird past Will Hardy and the Jazz. No, considering- Will's, Will's great for sure. That's much more. This is much more of a comment, from my opinion, on the rest of the conference. You go through these teams like it's 11 with, teams. 11. Let's just start. Well, I'll just go up from 11 and go up right from last year. So Dallas, we just talked about. I think they did get significantly better. They've had a good off season. I really like Josh Green. I think he just needs to have a chance to start. I think he's a starting quality player. He's good. I like the Grant Williams fit. They've got, like you said, a roster that makes sense. I think Oklahoma City is making the playoffs. I think they're taking a significant leap this year if they're healthy. Jalen Williams played one game in summer league, and I don't think he's playing another one. He did exactly what you wanted to do. He had 21 Which points. Which Jalen Williams? Minutes. Wing Jalen Williams? Wing Jalen Williams. He looked incredible. Yeah, how about not on that one? Stay home, buddy. Like, I don't need uh, you to play summer he, league. He came, out, he came, played his one game, and showed what you want to see from his second year. For fans who are watching these games over the next week or so, if you see a second-year player playing, you want to see him dominate the game. Keegan Murray comes back and plays the summer league, dominates. Jalen Williams dominates. Like, that's a sign guys are taking steps forward. He looked great. I think Oklahoma City, Chet Holmgren, I think is going to be great for them. They've still got some flexibility to do stuff. I, I really like where the Thunder are going. So they're going to be tough to beat. Pelicans, you know, who knows what's going to happen health-wise, but the first half of last season when Zion was on the court, they were up at the top of the West. They could be a very tough team as far as making the playoffs. Minnesota didn't have Cat and Rudy together basically all last season. They had all kinds of chaos happen during the season. They got Mike Connolly part of the way through the season. They still finished over 500. And, and, and really, be Tim, decent. that achievement, really, if you ask Cat. 
was better than what Denver achieved last year. Just being over 500. I mean, uh, they should hang a banner in the Target Center if it's still called that. Just and it should say, really, when you the, the banner should say 2022-23 Wolves. Really, when you think about it, had a better achievement than the champion Denver Nuggets. Hooray! I'm leaving that one alone on a lot of levels, but. My point is, those are the teams that finished eighth, ninth, and tenth ahead of Dallas, and everybody else ahead of them—the Lakers, the War—you know—we could talk more about the Lakers. I, I know you mentioned me on. I don't them. want to. Okay. I don't want to. But the La- Lakers are going to be fine. The Warriors, the Clippers, the, the Suns—you know—the Kings have everybody back. They're probably going to take a little bit of a step back, but they're still going to be tough. Memphis is still very good. Obviously, Denver is the defending champs. Like, they're going to be good teams. Can I ask you just one quick question? Can I ask you one quick question? Yes. Are we sure the Clippers are going to be fine? I mean, what I would when I say when I say fine, I mean the Clippers are, to me aren't going to win thirty games. Like they might not make the playoffs, but again, like good teams. That's my point. There okay. are eleven good teams, and three of them are going to miss the playoffs, and one of them is going to miss the play-in tournament again. So. I don't know who it's going to be, but I'm not confident. Like, I think Dallas has had a very good offseason, and I'm not confident they're going to finish fourth as a result. I mean, they might finish eighth. They might finish 10th. They might finish 11th. They might finish sixth. But it's it's a very uh, it's a very challenging um, it's a very challenging conference from a depth standpoint. And it's, you know, like you said, they've done a good job and they have a solid team, but I don't think there's a guarantee that they're just going to magically jump up five or six spots just because they're motivated to like, it's going to be a slog to, to finish high in the West. It is amazing that the Mavericks were in the conference finals 14 months ago. Mm -hmm. And you can, some people would dismiss that as a fluke. Like the Suns had a COVID outbreak, whatever they beat the Suns. They got to the conference finals, beat the jazz, despite Luca missing part of that series. Mm-hmm. 14 months later, the players who ranked first, second, third, and fifth in postseason minutes for them are all gone 14 months later. That's like, that's incredible. Um, the biggest question they have to answer, obviously, is their defense, which after kind of improbably being in the top 10 that season fell dramatically last year. It, despite the fact that their shot selection allowed was essentially the same. They do, they do a good job running people off the three-point line. They don't allow a ton of shots at the rim. Their rebounding collapse, and they just fouled the hell out of everyone. They were 27th in opponent free throw rate. They were ninth or 10th in both those categories the season before. And Kyrie, Luka, and whoever their centers are, like Kleba's fine as a defensive center. He's a little undersized. It's not the skeleton of an elite defensive team or even maybe a good defensive team. Can they be average and a little bit better than average? Maybe. That's the biggest question to me. The offense, look, I know there was that one game against Minnesota where Kyrie, I think it was against Minnesota, where Kyrie and Luka played hot potato and everyone's like, well, this is why you need chemistry and two ball handling stars sometimes don't fit. The fit's going to be fine. Their offense was like off the charts with those two guys on the floor. I do think we'll see them run more pick and roll together to try and get Luka switches that he can beat up in the post and all that. The defense is the question, the experience level to me is the question. I think it's a really, really interesting team that has found some of the right kinds of players. I guess the simplest way to put it is much like was the case with the Lillard 
McCollum Blazers low, I think, on a, a, a higher plane because Luka is just, I, I, well, maybe not that much of a higher plane. I don't know. The gap between their second and third best players is just so big that it leaves you with a lot of uncertainty about them. But I think they're going to be an interesting team. I think they had a great, a, it could be one of those cases where a great offseason does not net you out as much of a standings improvement, or at least pre-tank standings improvement, as you would think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and you know, the other thing, too, is Kyrie Irving is not exactly the most durable player before you get into anything else. And if he misses a bunch of time, you know. Yeah, the whole thing is depending on on the second best. I just said there's a gap between the second and third best players. That's like the Grand Canyon. It, right. The second best guy is has had a um, an interesting few yeah, seasons. Let's just say he's not the most reliable guy. So you... You know, and if they and if one of those guys is not playing, you know, they basically only have Seth Curry to handle the ball in the roster. Right. So that is the one thing that I think is a potential issue for them. If either one of them does miss time is like, you know, obviously you're just going to have the ball in their hands all the time anyway. So it'll probably be fine. And it's one of those things where if one of them isn't playing, you're probably in trouble anyway. But but yeah, look, they've had a good offseason. I like the moves they made. I think Grant and Josh starting will give them a lot more, like you said, a lot more defensive versatility. I think Josh Green's really good. Uh, I think I'm a big big fan. Moving Reggie Bullock, you know, as Tim McMahon alluded to, to, you know, clear a clear path for Josh Green to start, I think is good for Dallas. But again, like you said, I'm not sure they're going to be higher than, I'm not sure they're going to get out of the plan. I'm not sure they're going to make the playoffs. And, you know, after this season, Lucas two years away from free agency. And, you know, that's it's it's just that's a situation to monitor on a lot of fronts. So I, I should have mentioned Seth Curry more among the bench brigade. I, I think that's a case where if you're staggering them, Luca and Kyrie, I think you match his minutes, Seth Curry's minutes with Luca because yep. this the Curry Kyrie tandem is just smaller than you need to be. But he's I another did, guy that needs to stay healthy too. And he is I was gonna to say I did find it um a little puzzling how much like astonishment there was that the Mavericks got Seth Curry on such an on such a cheap contract. I think it was like a two year, eight, nine million dollar contract. I'm like, yeah, yeah Seth Curry can shoot the hell out of it. He's hurt all the time, and he is a massive defensive liability who multiple teams have had trouble playing in the playoffs at times. Like it, that did not surprise me at all. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything 
pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Okay, let's go to the other bit of big news from yesterday, which is the Atlanta Hawks taking an interesting trade candidate off the board for a while now. Resigned DeJounte Murray to a four-year, $120 million extension, doubling down on the Trey Young-DeJounte Murray tandem for which they have paid handsomely in draft picks going out the door to the Spurs. Um, they now have, as things stand now, and assu- assuming pretty conservative market value extensions for Onyeka Kongu and Sadiq Bey or new contracts. They're now pushing $195 million in committed salary for 24-25, which is way over the projected tax and right up against the Ishbia apron. And the next season, 25-26, could be more of the same. Clint Capella's deal expires, but Jalen Johnson's deal kicks in. And after, if Jalen Johnson is part of their long-term core, his next contract kicks in. And after that, it's A.J. Griffin and on and on. So here's where we are with the Hawks. I, first of all, I thought 4-120, that's really nice value for DeJounte Murray. DeJounte Murray is a good player. I was who, very surprised he signed that extension. Well, I don't – look, I mean – Maybe he just wants it's it it kind of reminds you of the Wiggins extension, which is going which was a, which you knew at the time was like, whoa, that's a low number for Andrew Wiggins coming off what he did for them in the playoffs. And it's just gonna age into like a what happened to the Andrew Wiggins contract? I some guys just want security and that's fine. It's still almost thirty million bucks a year for a guy who's just a really good player. He he's he he can do a little bit of everything. He didn't shoot the three as well as you would hope playing off of Trey Young last year. Although, weirdly, Tim, I looked it up today. DeJounte was 33% on catch-and-shoot threes and 44% on pull-up threes, which strikes me as, like, it's a little bit random. It'll probably, like, reverse next year or something like that. Yep. And he's a he's a good defensive player, probably slightly overrated and can get beaten up by bigger two guards a little bit. Um, but here's, here's their probably projected team after – finally dumping John Collins for a ham sandwich when they could have traded John Collins for real stuff like 17 times over the past four years. Starting five, Trey Young, Murray, Sadiq Bey, DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella. That group played only 48 minutes total last year. Sadiq Bey was obviously acquired pretty late in the game. The uh, holdover foursome of Trey, Murray, Hunter, Capella played 800-some minutes. They were plus four points per 100 possessions, a solid lineup. I like that starting five. That's fine. Bay and Hunter are probably need to shoot the three a little better, but they're 35, 36% each. Off the bench, you stagger the two guards. That's the whole point of getting them, right? So one of Trey and Murray will be on the floor. Bogdanovich, who's been a six-man-of-the-year candidate every year when healthy. I think you give A.J. Griffin a shot at a full rotation role. Jalen Johnson definitely gets a shot at a full rotation role. And Okongu is one of the best backup centers in the league, who's probably the heir apparent. And we might even see... Quinn Snyder toy with playing the two bigs together because he had a Congo with Jack and threes last year. That's a solid bench. And then we don't even get into the guys they just drafted and some of their non-guaranteed guys. We don't even have to go that far down to get where we're at nine, 10 guys already. Um, that's a solid, that's a solid team. And like what we just said about the West 11 teams deep, 
at least. The East is kind of in a weird state of volatility right now, right? We just talked about Boston. They're going to be they're going to be fine, but they've got some interesting wrinkles to answer. Milwaukee's Milwaukee. They're going to win a crap ton of regular season games. Although Giannis just sneaking it in there like oh, a little cleanup knee surgery. Well, hopefully Giannis is fine. Cleveland, I I guess we will be better. Like they they were embarrassed in the playoffs, but they had a I thought a really they're nice at least going to be a very good regular season team yeah. again. The top and five they, teams in the East will be the top five teams in the East again. The Knicks, I think, should should probably be stable. I mean, they've had this weird uh, like every good year is followed by a dip back thing, but they should be okay with Brunson there. But not they're not like. But the Knicks, I don't, I don't look at the Knicks and like, well, that's a team that's on their way to fifty five wins as is. Well, I, I mean, I think there's a decent chance they they win more games than they did this past season. I like Dante DiVincenzo a lot, and I think their depth and continuity carrying over will be pretty important. I'm still, I still can't believe that anybody thought it was a good idea for the Milwaukee Bucks to trade Dante DiVincenzo for Serge Ibaka. That was a Wasn't horrible great. idea. Wasn't great. Wasn't great. The Nets will be worse, despite the fact that they'll just be worse win total wise because they will not have the cushion built up from. Well, the- at this, I'm, I got to cut in, but at this point, you just have to say like, then there's Miami, right? Like, well, this is what I'm saying, Phil. I'm saying Philly and Miami are kind of in this like, we got to see where they net out if they are able to acquire or trade their respective guards that, you know, Philly's maybe trying to trade one kind of, and Miami's trying very hard or hardish to acquire one. Right. They'll, you figure they're in this elite group, top half group somewhere. Toronto got worse. Chicago is just meh. Orlando's getting a little better, but they're whatever. We'll see if they're 500 ish, maybe a little better. Indiana's solid. My point is if you told me right now, the Atlanta Hawks were the third seed in the East next year. I wouldn't be like, that's implausible. Now, I wouldn't expect it because, again, one of those Philly-Miami teams will probably hit this out of the park somehow or at least come out better, and you still have Boston and Milwaukee. But if Atlanta stays healthy, I, it's a weird team. The two guards together are still weird. I think Quinn Snyder has already found places where they can cooperate and have some synergy between them instead of just like, at times last year, it was a rough watch. It was like Trey Young pick and roll floater, Trey Young pick and roll floater. Okay, Dejounte, you take it. Dejounte pick and roll eighteen footer, and like they can make those shots. It just wasn't a particularly fun brand of ball. I don't know. I might, I might have a little bit of a weird irrational affinity for the Hawks, but I read those names and I look at how they fit. And if they stay healthy and they get a good season out of Bogdanovich and an improving improvement from their young guys. Jalen Johnson really showed showed more than flashes. I kind of like this team. I think they're okay. Ah! <laughs> I think they're okay. I think they're probably going to be seventh. I mean, I, I, I just think they're a pretty clear step below. I mean, I think they're a step below teams like Cleveland and New York, who I think will be better than them during the regular season. I don't think they're going to be. I'm not in- convinced New York is going to be better than them in the regular season. I, I might I mean, just be a cockeyed Hawks optimist. Could be. I mean, I, the Knicks, I thought, I think the Knicks did a lot of stuff that's fairly sustainable and they added a good player. So, and everything else is the same. So I, I think they're going to be better personally. I think Cleveland's going to be better. And Cleveland you know, should be, should be at least as good. I mean, and, they were number two in the whole league in net rating, so they're not going to get that much better, but they should be about. Yeah. I mean, better. ironically, they were sort of like Quinn Snyder's Utah teams where I think they were, you know, top three in the league in net net rating, but also had 
pretty easy flaws to pick apart in the playoffs. I think that might be the same thing again this year. But if you look at if you look at the the top four or five teams in the East, it's just hard for me to see Atlanta cracking that group realistically. And that and that's before you account for Miami potentially getting Dame, which at that point I would probably say they're the seventh best team. And that's where, to your point about uh, their salary going forward, that is where you have to wonder what's going on in Atlanta because to be pushing up against the second apron, you're not going to want to be, no team wants to be 15 or $20 million into the tax. No, there's a move. There's a move to come. The only question is, can they ride out this season? Right. If they're playing well before they make the move. Well, and it, it, I mean, it's just something's going to give, right? Because teams don't stay normal teams, you know, non like Warriors, Clippers, you know, early Nets teams or, you know, early Joe side, early Mikhail Prokhorov Nets teams. Those teams don't stay that far into the tax to be mediocre. So you're you've got to be really good um, to spend that kind of money. And I just don't see the path to this Hawks team being that good. They also have one of the best coaches in the entire NBA who now gets actual time to plan for, sure. for this job in this team. And we already saw him make his imprint on the team in lots of different ways. Pace was higher. They toyed with like Murray and Young sometimes screening for each other off the ball and getting Trey Young to do any goddamn thing off the ball has been a stretch for every coach they've had. So good right. luck, Quinn Snyder. But that's one of the missing pieces for them. Missing sounds – it's weird to say that because their offense has been very good for most of Trey Young's career. Sure. And it's actually been – crap with him off the floor although they've had snippets two months here when healthy two months there when healthy when enough of their bench guys are healthy that it's been fine mm-hmm. um obviously the other thing was the offensive rebounding just skyrocketed and every it was interesting everyone expected them to shoot more threes when Quinn Snyder took over because they were dead last or second to last in threes mm-hmm. and that did that didn't happen their threes didn't uptick at all it was all shots at the rim which came out of their share of mid-range shots Wonder if we do see more threes this time around now that there's time. All right, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to make you a bet right now. Okay. Let's bet let's bet a let's bet what would be fun to bet in Vegas? I don't dinner a beer, I don't know. We got to come up with something more fun than I mean, that. And you don't live that far from me. We don't have to have it be a Vegas No, thing. because it's going to have to be it's going the basis I don't know what the, the bet, I don't know what the bet is. So it won't be known until April. So we can either okay. be a dinner in the playoffs or one of us has to stake the other a hundred bucks to gamble in Vegas or sure, something. Sure, whatever, like that. whatever you want, whatever you Haw- want. Here's the bet: I'm taking Hawks in the playoffs, top six, not in the play-in. In, if unless you want, and you and you're saying seventh or worse, I'm saying rock solid. I don't even need odds. Hawks are in the playoffs without the play-in tournament. Uh. You yeah, don't I feel mean, that sure. strongly against it. No, but okay. sure, it's fun. I mean, it's fun to do though. Why not? I said they're going to fit. I said they're not the top six, so sure, why not? Top six, they're in. I mean, I I would say that I think there's a chance. I think there's a decent chance I lose that bet because I do think that Atlanta's. All right, fine, fine. No, no, top no, 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 five. no, top, no. I'm going. To, no, don't stop me. What you have me in a, an advantage. I'm going crazy. Top five. Okay. I mean, that's sure. a fair bet. Sure. I, I was just going to say, I do I do think you're right in the sense that the, the Hawks have a solid top Hawks, three. Just kidding. Top five. Uh, yeah, I know. The Hawks are kind of like uh, the Hawks are kind of like the Knicks and Cavs, right? Where they have solid. I mean, more like the Knicks where they have solid depth 
of eight or nine guys that you like. And they've obviously, you know, you've got Trey Young and Jalen Brunson to sort of drive your team. And I just, the, the question I have for them going forward is I just don't see how they really get above fifth or sixth in any season. And that, I don't know what you do to, you to change that. I'll tell you how. <laughs> okay. <laughs> how? The sheer force of Quinn Snyder's angry face glare is worth well, four wins. If you want to argue that Quinn Snyder is one of the best coaches in the league, you don't find a way to get him up to third. Like that's the, certainly the best. Someone argument above them will take an injury. Quinn Snyder, by the sheer force of his eyeballs, top five. Sure. Okay. There you go. Fun. Let's finish on Damian Lillard because holy smokes, has there been a lot of Damian Lillard discourse <laughs> in the last twenty four hours? Don't say. Peaking last with hours. his How about peaking? the last week. Well, it, it peaked, I think, yesterday. Uh, Thursday, July 6th was yesterday. Um, Woj had a big story that came out in which he reported accurately that Aaron Goodwin, Damian Lillard's agent, was calling teams that were not the Miami Heat and just being like, hey, you should probably not trade for Damian. He wants to go to Miami. He's going to be pissed off if you trade for him. Stand down. And then Aaron Goodwin did a thing that I don't remember any agent doing going on the record with the Miami Herald and being like, yeah, I'm calling other teams and telling them not to trade for Damian Lillard because he wants to go to the Miami Heat, and right. that's the only place he wants to go. And now we have this specter of like, is he going to be unhappy if anybody but Miami trades for him? Is he going to do the unthinkable and not report? Does any team, despite the years on his contract, have faith enough in their own infrastructure to trade for a guy, trade a lot more than Miami can offer for a guy who has told them, do not do that. I don't want to come to your city. I want to go to South Beach. I want to have no state taxes. I want to play with Jimmy. I want to play with Bam. Will any team actually offer greater than Miami's offer in that circumstance? And then the follow-up dialogue has been, well, is is Dame and Aaron Goodwin, is this unfair to the Blazers? And then you have the other side where they say, no, the Blazers betrayed Dame by not upgrading at the draft. But wait, no, Dame is betraying the Blazers by doing this, that, and the other thing. I find the whole dialogue sort of overheated. Um, but I wonder uh, if you have had any sort of reactions to the last 24 hours of overheated Damian Lillard noise. Um, I mean, no, not really, because I've not really... I, I think it's all noise for a reason. Uh, I guess the thing I've been confused about from the beginning is everybody's acting like the Heat have literally nothing to trade. And not I think everybody, the Heat, not everybody. Well, I, I think the Heat's offer is pretty decent. Like if you end up with Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, two to three first, depending on if you change the protection on the, the picks. So do Oklahoma City and, you know, Jaime Hawkes and Nikola Jovic, like, I, to me, that's fine. Like, that's a perfectly fine return for a guy who is going to be 33, is owed $200 million, is playing in a league where a ton of teams already have point guards. And when there's just not, A, there's not a lot of teams that can offer a ton to trade for anybody at the moment. And B, there's not a lot of teams looking to trade for this archetype of player right now. I mean, to me, there's only two teams that really make sense to trade for him. One is Philly, where I think their preference would probably be to just have James Harden come back and run this thing back. And the other is Miami and everybody else. I just don't see. I just don't see where this frothing market's going to come from. Like, like, you know, Tim McMahon made all right the other day on our pod that 
the Jazz should try to trade for him. I don't think that really makes any sense. People have mentioned the Spurs as a team that should trade for him. I don't think that makes any sense. Like these teams that have that, you know, you, the Oklahoma City has all these assets. They have Shea Gildas Alexander, who right now is probably just better than Dame. And it's certainly going to be better going forward. It doesn't make sense for them to trade for him. So you look around and it's like, okay, there's a couple teams that can trade for him. It's not the same as trading for Kevin Durant or as you talked about the other day, like the idea that the, the Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell packages are coming back anytime soon for anybody uh, outside of maybe one or two players is just not going to happen. There's been a market correction on that, as Adrian said a bunch of times. And I just, I've just been sort of confused as to the general conversation around what Miami has to offer. Cause I, I don't, it's being treated like it's what Bradley Beal was acquired for from the Suns, and I, I just don't think that's the case. I mean, I've been saying this for a week. The word I have landed on is palatable. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's great. I don't think the Blazers would feel like the Nets felt when they got all they got for Kevin Durant, which is like, boom, new direction. We're sure. loaded. Let's go. But if I get Hero... Or say I flip Hero for a good first and three good seconds. Whatever. Okay. Sure. So Hero, Jovic, Hakez, their two most recent first round picks. Let's say I play the leverage game well enough that they do have to amend the pick get the other thunder and yep. I get three more. That's three more plus a fourth for Hero in this theoretical scenario. Yeah. Plus the last two guys you drafted, just like six first round picks. Yeah. And I keep saying this, you can assume all you want that the Heat's 2028 and 2030, I was going to say 2030, 2028 and 2030 unprotected first round picks are BS picks because the Heat are never bad and Pat Riley always wants to compete. You can assume that. I think that assumption is a total unknown. There's a, there's a non-zero and maybe like some amount of good chance that one of those picks becomes a real pick. Can I get a swap in there as well that it, that increases sure. my probability of catching the Heat in a down year? The Heat have had down years. They will have down years again. Those picks are so far out in the wilderness. Damian Lillard's 33. Jimmy Butler's 32. Bam is amazing. I am the driver of the Bam wagon. He is not by himself going to make a team a 45-win team at any point in his career. Those picks have much more upside than people are giving them credit for. I put all that together and, you know, whatever the other salary filler is, palatable is where I land. Is it what they got for Durant? No. Is it is it the greatest trade return ever? No. Is it even what you would have hoped for a year ago if you did this thought exercise? What could we get for Damian Lillard? No. But it's not garbage. It's not nothing. It's palatable. And I don't know who will beat it. Maybe nobody will end up beating it. And my other thing is on all this noise, I don't really think anybody is wrong. Is that okay for me to say? Like, I don't think it's wrong that the Blazers are trying to get the best package possible and playing a pretty clear leverage game to try to get somebody to offer up something better than Miami has. And I don't think it's wrong for Damian Lillard to send out signals like Anthony Davis did and many other t players have done. Say, I want to go here and I don't want to go here and I don't want to go here and I don't want to go here and I'm not going to be happy in those places. Everything is a trade-off. When Damian Lillard signed the Mega Max extension with the Blazers that runs for three or four more years, he traded away his ability to pick his team unfettered. 
that's just part of the deal. I'm sorry if that's like uncomfortable to say in 2023 in terms of labor relations and whatever. Like I'm generally pro player, but in signing that contract, you traded away your complete unfettered ability to pick your team. That's part of the deal. That's what the contract is for. That's what the money is for to some degree. The money is mostly for the fact that you're amazing at basketball. He And what he's doing is trying to pick his own team anyway. And that's totally fine. Here's the reality. It's harder now because you're under contract. And that's okay too. It's okay for it to be hard because the Blazers don't necessarily want to trade you to that particular team unless that particular team offers you everything. And it's okay for Damian Lillard to be like, I really want to go to that team and I'm going to try to poison the market um, for everyone else and get to that team. And the reality is, in totality for everyone involved is it's unpleasant and it's going to take a while. And that's the trade-off of that contract for everybody involved. It's unpleasant. It's going to take a while. And it may still, if not, is probably going to still end up with Damian Lillard in Miami. It's just unpleasant. And that's just the reality. I don't think anyone is really wrong here. I don't think this is a betrayal. I don't think, oh, Damian Lillard has lit all his goodwill on fire. No, he hasn't. He's just doing what he wants to do. The Blazers are doing what they want to do. This is all part of the deal that results from that contract. Yeah, I, I, I certainly don't think anyone's doing anything wrong from that standpoint. And I also would say that, you know, if I was Philly or one of these other teams, if I was interested in Dame, I would not be thinking twice about trading for him because the idea that Damian Lillard, of all people, is not going to show up to play with Joel Embiid, I find to be. And frankly, that's the third ludicrous. party. That's the third party involved. The third party is Team X, Y, and Z who wants Damian Lillard in theory, in reality, whatever. It's on you, too, to sell him on your vision and to make him happy enough that he would actually go there and play well. This is just reality. Like, it's, it's unpleasant and hard for everyone, so go do the hard work of it. Well, yeah, and I, I also, like, Dame has long been considered one of the best guys in the league. The idea that, like, let's say Philly, because I think that's the only other really realistic suitor. If, like, he gets traded to Philly as a chance to play with Joel Embiid, what's he going to do? Say, ah, no, no thanks, I'm going to sit at home and not play? I mean, come on. Like, I just don't. That's just a, that's a, that's a ludicrous position. If, like, if we're talking about Kyrie Irving, like, sure. Who knows what Kyrie would do in that kind of situation? But that's also why Kyrie had no suitors really six months ago, right? Like, or last summer when he tried to do a sign and trade. Like, the, the Dame is one of the best guys in the league. He's as rock solid a person as as we have seen in the league. And I, yeah, like everybody's doing what they're trying to do to get the best outcome for themselves here. That's how this stuff works. But I certainly wouldn't. I don't really buy the threat of him like not showing up or not being a professional or not being awesome because that's who Damian Lillard's been for the past 11 years. And I don't think that's going to change. So, so I don't want to go through all the teams because I did that with Hollinger the other day. I will say on Utah and the Spurs, I agree with you that it's um, not the most realistic endpoint. I only think those teams dive in if the price is to the point where it's like, oh, that's all. Like, well, then fine. Like, we'll take. Well, but a shot and I just it. don't buy that's the case because, like, again, th this is where I don't understand the Miami stuff. Like, Miami's offer is fine. 
it, it's a it's a perfectly good offer. It's not great. It's not anything. It's a turkey sandwich. It's a, it's a dry turkey sandwich. Like it'll it'll fulfill you. You put some mustard on it. It's like it's edible. It's fine. Look, I think it's I think it's perfectly. I think yes. I think it's good. And again, I I don't think enough has been made of the fact that there's reasons why there's not 15 teams lining up to trade for Dame. He's a small guard who's never been great on defense, who has a ton of money owed to him, and is going to be 33. Like this isn't trading for prime LeBron, and I'm not trying it's to not, knock. Dame. As I said, I love Dame. two days ago, it's not trading for Kevin Durant last year. He's right. not Kevin Durant, right? And he's an awesome player. And if he ends up with a team like Philly or Miami, it would be a hand and glove fit and would be fantastic. I've said on, I've said publicly. I think if he ends up in Miami, they have the best big three in the league. Then with him, Jimmy and Bam, I think they fit together perfectly. And you look at that Miami team in the playoffs. What did they need? They needed a guy like Damian Lillard to go out there and get buckets in the fourth quarter of these playoff games when their offense would bog down. Like that's he's and exactly stretch, and stretch defenses five feet further. Yes, absolutely. He's exactly what they needed and would be an incredible fit there. And obviously, you know, all the hashtag he culture nonsense like he he fits the vibe of their team and. It it makes a ton of sense and would be a great trade for them if they could pull it off. But the price, if like San, yeah, like Utah, San Antonio, or these other teams will get involved. If the price gets so low that oh man, we have to just jump on this and do it. I just don't see any world where they're realistically the price is going to be realistically low. low enough where my aunt, where the Blazers, like to me, if it got that to that point, the Blazers would be out of spite not trading him to Miami, which to me doesn't make a lot of sense. So let me ask you this to end. You mentioned Philly repeatedly. Yep. You can't really do this, but leaving aside the James Harden fiasco is Tobias Harris. So, and by that, I mean, let's assume they can mend. Let's just, for the sake of this, assume that they can mend fences. And well, I, let, I'll just stop you there. Cause I think if they bend fences with him, they're not getting Dane. So I don't, right, so, I don't so, think okay. they're going to end just up with both of them. Pretend James Harden just retires to go around the world with Michael Rubin and go to parties where sure. people have to dress in a different color every party. Sure. Is Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey. I mean, they don't and, have enough. I can stop one, you there, too. And one unprotected Philly pick. Is enough. that better than Miami's no. offer? No, it's not. You know, I mean, the way that, again, the way Philly gets involved with this is if they turn James Harden into a bunch of different things and then they could package those things with Tyrese Maxey and send them on to Portland. Like if it's, you know, they get a couple first round picks from the Clippers with Terrence Mann and expirings and then they turn around, they give all that with Maxey and you get three first round picks and Maxey and Mann and expirings. Uh, maybe then you could argue that's a better deal. Um for Portland because Maxie's probably the best asset on the board and he's not on a long-term deal right now. In theory, these younger teams would potentially give you a good amount for Tyrese Maxie if you don't want to have him on your team because he is really good and young and selling his rookie deal and you could have him with your group long-term. If you are one of these young teams, a lot of assets, he would make a lot of sense to go after. But like, again, we're talking about, you got to go through like several steps here, right? Like it, that's not a simple transaction. And I think Philly, you know, especially given the longstanding relationships between Daryl Morey and James Harden and some of the other people involved here, I think Philly would probably prefer to just run this back with James Harden and and have him there and then see what they do uh, next summer, which to go all the way back to the beginning of the DeJounte Murray discussion, part of the reason I was so surprised that he took this extension was 
There are not a lot of good free agents available next summer. And I, I find it very hard to believe that this contract would not have been available this time next year, if not significantly more money. So it's interesting that he signed this deal now. And, you know, from Philly's standpoint, if they do, if they don't make a Dame trade, he does end up in Miami, say, and they do bring back James Harden, which I am starting to think more and more is the more likely outcome than him getting traded for not very much somewhere else. Um, you know, you're in a situation now where the, the Sixers are very clearly trying to load up for all this cap space next summer to sign players in for agency. And that's a pretty risky game to play in a market that's not Miami. It's not LA. It's not a place where guys have like the best free agents they've ever signed or what, like Elton brand, maybe after the, you know, the fiasco with the Clippers that didn't turn out great. Like they've never, it's never been a destination that has attracted free agents. And yeah, they have Joel, they'll have Tyrese Maxey, but that's an awfully risky game to play when you've got Joel Embiid in his prime. And you're basically saying, our best opportunity here is to have James Harden come back on an expiring deal, keep Tobias on an expiring deal, and then go try to sign some combination of, you know, Paul George, Drew Holiday, Pascal Siakam, whoever next summer, when you might not get any of those guys, none of them might even get to free agency. And then what do you do? Well, some of those, those three guys are really good. And Oh, you know, I agree. If like, if they get two of them, sure. But like, you know, there's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts even between now and that. Sure. It's not like they're guaranteed to walk away with two of those guys. You obviously, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned the Clippers because the two Clippers extensions ho- hovering over all this is, are something of a mystery. But yeah, the idea that Philly was going to prioritize cap space in any James Harden trade, which would, in theory, imperil the notion of taking Norm Powell's $20 million back onto their books, maybe that becomes slightly less of a concern with one of the big free agents off the board. Um, but I'm glad that you mentioned all of this because a lot of the Philly Lillard discussion and the idea that the Sixers need to go all in to get Damian Lillard ignores the Harden reality. And you just outlined the three team trade that I've talked about a lot on this podcast with Harden to the Clippers, Dame to the Sixers, a bunch of stuff to the Blazers. I guess in that scenario, just clear in your version of it that you just outlined, does Tobias Harris stay with the Sixers? Yes. So that matters because Tobias Harris, although he's quote unquote overpaid on a $40 million contract, is a very good player. He's a good player. And he's better than a crumble cookie. I've never had a crumble cookie. I don't even know what they are, but he's better. That was, he's more an, that was an all time. Cookie. That was an all time line by Tobias, who's a really good guy. And great guy. I, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And he, but he's a good player. And the reason that matters is because other than some really smart coverage in the Philadelphia media, I just haven't seen enough people put the pieces together where it sounds sexy to say all in for Lillard, all in for Lillard, all in for Lillard, Maxi for Lillard. What are you thinking? It's Tyrese Maxi and it's Damian Lillard. Of course you trade him for blah, blah, blah. In a lot of these scenarios, what you're really saying is Maxi and Harden out, Lillard in. And does that, so your entire starting backcourt, the older guy who's disgruntled and the younger guy who's awesome and going to be awesomer soon, out, one guy back in, P.J. Tucker may go out in some of these deals. Like, you're sending a lot of talent out the door. Does that really make you demonstrably better? And I think in all the exuberance over the idea of Lillard and Embiid playing together, 
the talent drain out the door has not really been well understood or well discussed. And just even in the simple, even in the scenario you outline, the reality of Tobias Harris staying is actually like a big deal. I'm not even sure this scenario is in play, but I just don't think, I, I think a lot of the national discussion about whether Philly should get Lillard or try really hard to get Lillard has ignored the roster challenges of actually doing it. Yeah, I mean, in that scenario, they'd have a starting five of Damian Lillard, DeAnthony Melton, Tobias Harris, P.J. Tucker, and Joel Embiid, which I think would be pretty awesome. And I, I think they'd have a chance to win with that group, and I would be excited about having that team if I was Philly. If I could walk away from this with those five guys, I would do it. I wouldn't really think twice about it. However, you know, like you said, there's a lot of there's a whole lot of ground to cover between here and there. I don't think they're going to wind up getting that done ultimately. And yeah, I mean, like I said, you just look at how they've operated this summer. Everybody and their brother is getting a player option this summer. Basically, every player on the market that don't basically the only two guys that have it are Mo Bamba and Patrick Beverly, who both signed one year minimum deals in Philly. They didn't keep George Niang. They didn't keep Shake Milton. We'll see what happens to Paul Reed. Montrez Harrell resigned on a one year deal, too. Like they they're very clearly diligently sticking to this plan of having cap space next summer. And maybe that'll work. But sort of like what we saw in Portland this past year, they even if let's say they even keep James Harden, they go into next season. They got James and Tobias on expiring deals. And it's, hey, we're going to have all this cash space next summer. And this is the plan. Like, OK, let's see what let's see what that nets out, because if they strike out in free agency next summer and they don't have anything and they're already pretty encumbered on picks, they're not going to have a lot of picks to trade. They can only trade one now. I think they could trade two next summer. They're just sitting there with Tyrese and Joel and sort of a blank canvas around them. You know, that's where you start to wonder about the future of this team and where they're headed. And so. It's it's a very high risk strategy. It appears they're trying to take. And, you know, if they get Dame, sure, that team makes a lot of sense and could be really good. If they don't. You know, there's there's a lot of questions that are going to be asked. You've outlined all the different paths really nicely there and why Tobias Harris is actually not just sort of a forgotten person in these in outlining yeah. these paths. He's Tim Bontemps, enjoy. Uh Victor's debut tonight in Vegas. I will see you out there in about 48 hours. Um, awesome. Thank you for your time. You can listen to Tim twice a week on the Hoop Collective, Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective. You can read him all the time at ESPN. You can see him all over television in our Seaport studio. Mr. Bontemps, thank you, sir. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks.